I'm Professor Neil Feinstein, and this is Conversations with the Creators. Sponsored by St. John's Master's Program in Integrated Advertising Communications, ideas thrive here. Welcome, welcome. Okay, check out these descriptors of today's conversation guest, Walt Gear. Uh, sports bike racer, track and field all-star, biometric lab creator, and holder of six patents. Adweek's 50 most important people in media, marketing, and tech. Savoy Magazine's most influential black executives in corporate America. Walt is an ECD at VML YNR with a passion that sits at the intersection of storytelling, design, technology, data, and research. Okay, I'm impressed, I'm awed, and quite frankly, I'm a little intimidated. <laughs> Neil, like, I was gonna say the same thing about you, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you kind of reach up to overachiever way more than I do. <laughs> oh, so. no, man, just, just luck, 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 lots of luck. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for finding time to, oh, to chat. You. I'm, I'm sure here. the students are going to love to hear um, what you have to say. And yes. um, the way you say it is also incredibly impressive. So let, let, let's just start at the beginning. Why don't you just talk to us very briefly about your career trajectory, how you got into, well, were you busy running out on the field and said, hey, I'm going to be in <laughs> advertising now? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. It's you know, this is like one of the, you know, there are a lot of people that just fall into things. I fell into this. This wasn't a planned thing. It wasn't like a, yeah, I want to be a creative one day. I think that there are so many incredible, you know, opportunities now and degrees now for, 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 for design and, you know, all this stuff, experience design and learning UX and UI like this. I learned along the way. So, um, you know, long story short, and I tell it a lot, like I, I my, my dad got me a job interview at this company called Transworld Entertainment. Uh, I had no, like, I might've had an email address for like two months. Like seriously, I think it was like 99 sometime. And uh, I went in and I, I lied, right? Like they were like, do you know HTML? Do you know JavaScript? Do you know Photoshop? I had no idea what any of that was, no clue. But I said, yeah. And then uh, I got the job at the end of the interview. I asked if I could start in three weeks instead of two. And I went to the library and learned. It just so happened that I actually enjoyed doing it as I was learning. So I continued to learn on the job. And you know, I most certainly don't have, we, we talk about my trajectory, like I don't have the typical um, pathway that a lot of these creatives, majority of these creatives have today. Um, I had, you know, no proper design instruction. I had no, you know, thorough understanding of the space and how it works and, and tools. Like I've learned everything on my own, but I also intentionally throughout my career went left and right. I ran product, I ran, you know, innovation, I ran creative, I ran like, I did a bunch of different things because my intent was, you know, it was like, hey, you know, I want to be a pentathlete of sort of the sort. Uh, and if I can do all these things really well as a creative, then I should have more opportunity for, for jobs. It was interesting. I was having a conversation with yesterday with somebody yesterday who was talking about um, two characteristics that are necessary to get into the business. One is um, opportunity. You know, maybe yeah. there's a job opening and one is access. Um, and this person had created opportunity for herself and found a way to have access. And it sounds to me like you had that little point of access and you turned it into a huge opportunity where 
Well, look at where you are today. You're, I mean, one of the VML YNR has to be one of the largest agencies out there. The yeah, right? yeah, we are. Yeah, I'm fortunate. You know, I, I say all the time, like I'm. I was, I was very, very fortunate to uh, work at places, work at companies that were leaning heavily into digital, leading heavily into innovation. Places that weren't uh, afraid to to break shit. Um, and really, to be honest with you, like I had four, four leaders, four bosses who essentially brought me along the way. Right. And, and this is why I talk about the importance of mentorship and allyship, you know, allies like having a mentor is great because it gives you some form of support. But an ally is an individual that speaks for you when you're not in a room and kind of and puts you in the positions to win. So I had four people actually that did not look like me. Right. That, that really helped uh, clear the path and make it easier for me to kind of get to where I am. Well, 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 look and look at where you are. <laughs> That's really impressive. Um, one of the things when we spoke a, a week or so ago um, in planning for this call, you talked about one of the benefits of being in this position is the conversations that you're having. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just curious, you know, who are you having these conversations with? Um, what are you talking about? You know, if I was a fly on the wall, you know, what are some of the things that I would hear? You know, take me behind the take take me behind the closed door. Yeah, I think look, we're we're an interesting space, we're an interesting time, right? I think this this past year now with diversity being such a, a hot topic, I'll say, or of the moment topic, I'll say. Um, it's you know, as a, as a leader, I find myself being more upfront and forward around, around issues that we see, because, you know, God forbid, I don't want to be, or nor do I want my company or my brands to be, you know, the next, you know, uh, you know, Kylie Jenner and Pepsi, right. Or, or H&M with yeah, the, with the, yeah, with the yeah. monkey in the pusher. So oh, I think right now what we're seeing, oh, it's horrible. But I think what now we're seeing is we're seeing more people are feeling comfortable with using their voices. What I love to see is I see so many, like the younger generation are saying shit that like, I wish I could have said, when I was their age, right? When I was coming up and we're, the level of confidence is it's fucking amazing. But for me, it's like, you know, I am, I am, I'm consistently, consistently or constantly pushing, right? In terms of the level of work, the level of creativity, I'm asking for more of, 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 of my partners. I'm asking for more of my, my clients. And when I'm talking about, I'm asking for more, that is in terms of like ensuring that like, the, the appropriate messaging to the right culture, like all of that matters, that we have the right individuals and people in the room and people on the work, on the, on the work, but also like the, the ability to kind of push brands into an uncomfortable kind of position, right? Because, you know, you're never gonna do groundbreaking work unless you're pushing, right? And a lot of people are afraid to push. Look, every client, like I promise every one of these, your creatives in your class, right? will get into a meeting, one of their first meetings, review one of their first RFPs, and within that RFP, someplace in that will say, you know, innovation, want, want to innovate. But truth be, truth be told, most brands are in a race to be second, okay? So being first is like, how do you make someone comfortable, confident, and provide the insights and the, the information that's going to allow them to feel okay with doing things that might break shit? Well, let me ask you, how do you get a client? So many times I've been in meetings where clients say, well, we'll let our competitor do it first and make a mistake and then we'll learn from them and you know and therefore you know and therefore when we go in and do whatever it is it will be smarter better oh yeah more right how do you get them to say no you have to be the you have to be the first person so that you own this thing 
Yeah, that's the Apple way, right? Like, look at Apple. They're, like, without a Steve Jobs, they are second and third to, to market with a lot of their products now. Right. But what they do really well is exactly what you said. They stop, they wait, they assess, and then do it better. And when they do it better, they come out and say, we did it first because of X, Y, and Z. Um, it is why you see, you know, companies like Clubhouse now is like, yeah. who's like plummeting or falling off a cliff now and Facebook and Twitter still have yet to roll out their, their biggest, that big feature, right? They're doing the sit and wait. And, and I commend people for that. But when you're talking about advertising, when you're talking about reaching an audience, right? You, a lot of times being first allows you to create this space, get into that kind of that, that area or that arena first. And in doing so, I found a few things, right? Number one is Sometimes I don't say I give things away for free, but like I will cut costs drastically. I'll say, hey, look, I get that you don't want to spend the money to do this thing. And I get that it makes you nervous. Why don't we do a quick A-B test and do a small study over here? And I will put some skin in the game as well. Right. When I was at Viacom, what I ended up doing was because, look, every every creative, we all throw shit at a wall, hope it sticks. Right. But these big ideas. Um, so what I did over there was what if we were to test creative before we bring it to client? How can we effectively do that? And I opened up um, one of the very first biometric usability labs we mentioned earlier. And what we did was we, we partnered with MIT labs and we built out this usability lab where we were able to test emotional state of an individual when they engage with something. And in my case, ads. So I was pulling things like heart rate, pupil dilation, arousal, which is sweat in the palms, eye tracking, facial expressions, whether they're leaning back or forward, uh, and then tie that in with, you know, real-time questions before and after and weeks down the road road for moderators to understand more of the cognitive approach to why they interacted with these brands. And then I could understand things like call to action, speed of animation, position on page colors. I was able to innovate, bring it into the lab, test a particular demo for that client, bring it back to that client guaranteeing effectiveness and hey, you can be first to market. No one else is running this. We've already done this test. And then I was selling stuff formats for like six, seven, $8 million for two to three days. Right. Well, that's, a, that's amazing. How do you get a creative talent when, when they are so f- behind an idea, like they believe, and maybe you believe that this is the thing to do. Have you ever said to a client, just trust me? <laughs> Oh yeah, all the time. I think almost weekly. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's here's here's the thing that I tell a lot of the students and the people that I mentor is that the role of a creative, like once you get in, you are doing the work, you're doing the lead work, right? And sometimes it's gonna be 60, 70, 80 hours a week if you're just starting in the agency world. That's that's real talk. Um, the further along you go in your career, the higher you get the less hands-on work you're actually doing. So me as an ECD, I might touch Photoshop maybe 20 minutes a week, right? A chief creative officer hasn't probably touched it in months, right? But I say that because the higher you get, the further along in your career you get as a creative, the more you are a salesman, right? right. Like you're, what separates the good creatives from the, from the okay ones, because let's be honest, there are tons of incredible designers. Yeah. There are tons of incredible developers. There's colleges and all kinds of degrees everywhere now, whereas 15, 20 years ago, there was not, right? So what separates the good from the average are the individuals who, who know how to present, the individuals who know how to craft a story, right? And give it to you in a really compelling way. If you go talk to any chief creative officer or majority of the ECDs, they all have really, majority of them have big personalities. Majority of them can fucking tell, like they can persuade, we persuade people. It's what you do through creative and it's what you do through messaging and what you do when pitching. So when I, what I'm, where I'm getting at is that, you know, it is our job 
to be able to persuade a client and tell them why they need it and tell them why, because it's like, it's like, it's, you look at what they want and you give them what they need, right? People want to be healthy. Okay. So you give them the nutritious stuff, right? You don't, it's like, it's like presenting and pitching it is a big thing, but it's also when you're working with, within an agency, the nice thing is like, we have full strategy teams, yeah. right? People who will do all of the digging so that when I go back, it's not like, hey, here's my point of view and this is why I think it's cool, cool but here's all of the supporting data and here's why it's relevant to your audience. You can't, you can't beat a sentence that starts with research says. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Oh, How yeah. can you it's argue huge. with that? It's huge, it's huge. And I say that too, it's like a lot, so many creators, again, don't lean on the data you have to lean on the data before yeah. you create a thing. Like any time I go into a pitch, like with any idea that I present, I always present the problem first. Here's the problem. Research says this though, so here's the solution. Like every single time, that is my kind of process. So I'm, I'm fascinated by what I call, and I, I guess other people call the leap. I mean, you know, you've got these incredible strategy departments they come up with these, you know, mind-blowing insights. How how do you inspire that creative team to look at that data, to actually spend time with the data, to internalize it, to let it switch around, so that they can make that leap from that kind of um, analog. Well, no, that's a real the wrong word. That kind of um, you know. It's data, from, yeah, yeah. from data to an idea, a concept, something that's going to, that everyone's going to go, wow, you know, I can't touch that or something, you know, so amazing. Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's hard. Uh, it's hard. That's a great question, right? Like, I don't know how, how you inspire people. I think it's, it's as a creative, you start to learn as you go along the process that like an idea is just an idea, right? Until it's sold through, but selling through means you have to have, like you have to have the data. And that is the biggest piece that so many people don't yeah. lean on. Like you, anytime you sell something through, you have to support it with some type of real world evidence. Um, I also say too, that like, I often tell a lot of my creatives, like they should be out freelancing and consulting and traveling and doing other things because things like what inspires me is actually real day life. Here's the thing, like, a lot of times when people say, oh my gosh, did you see this work? Check out this work. Usually about seven times out of 10, I won't look at it. Reason why I won't look at it, right? Is because that when I, when you continue to look at someone else's work, you eventually you start replicating that person's right. work, right? And so like, I try to kind of avoid things like that, which is oddly enough, like I try to avoid certain publications online and reading certain content because I don't want other people's thoughts and positions and kind of you know, view on their creative to kind of influence what I do. So I say like, you know, influence really comes by way of a lot of times the HC world wins. Like it feels good to win. It feels like I was on a Walgreens pitch and like here at PMN1R and like we closed it like, I don't know, like five or six months ago, it was $600 million. Wow. Like that feels good, right? When you do, when you close a business like that, that so as a creative, I think that's inspiring, but it's also inspiring to see your work right? And see it on TV and see it on billboards and see it online. Like that's what really kind of pushes, I think, a lot of creators because it's one thing to create, but it's another when you create and people see it and people use it and people like function, you know, deal with it every day. I, I think th that's, that's a really nice segue to where to something I want to talk about with you because, you know, in the world of business, even in the world of advertising, when you're talking to strategists, when you're talking to account people, media people, what motivates them is, oh, you did a great job. Here's a bonus. Or, oh, we, you did a great job. Let's promote you and you've just gotten a raise. 
but and it doesn't work that way with creatives. Creatives are no. like, like you did a great job. We're gonna enter your campaign in this awards show. Oh yeah, yeah. And and awards are kind of the 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 carrot for us for for us. I say I was a creative director at some point, um, and that but. You wrote an article recently, which was really fascinating, and I and I believe it's gotten a lot of um, discussion um, about the bias inherent in juries at award shows, um, especially for people of color. Um, yeah. and, and and so I'm just wondering if you could kind of talk a little bit about your point of view on that, um, and 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 make it real for my students because quite frankly they need to understand this and yeah so you got to understand that awards are really fucking important right like there is and i say this to a lot of people you go out and you look at any chief creative officer i will guarantee you they have numerous awards you cannot get into those positions without numerous awards because the agencies that hire them look at it as saying they do award-winning work they know how to will when they're doing stuff that everyone likes. That's the guy I need to hire who could actually change the landscape for my, for my client. So now the bigger problem now is that when you get into these award shows, there's implicit and bias. There's this bias. It's like, it's built. look, I think every person on this planet earth is biased to some degree. Okay. But when you get into these rooms and I was in a room on a, on a very big jury uh, for a very big award show. And uh, I was, I was the chairman. Right. And so the chairman of a jury is essentially the individual who can kind of help influence and push things left to right, uh, creates the cutoff lines for, for the work, so on and so forth. Um, and the, the problem was that we had uh, a, a, a white person who essentially said, um, you know, when, when we were awarding some work that was specifically targeted around like the culture and black women specifically in a very and I'm not going to call it out, but like in a very impactful way that could really do incredible change. Uh, for this group of individuals, uh, this person essentially said, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm going to vote this work out because, quite frankly, you know, I don't I don't get it, and, and you know, it's not my culture, and it doesn't affect me." And it and it blew my mind, and it made me think for a minute that you know, this individual who just said that, who just voted this this creative out, meaning not a shortlist, not an award, nothing, it's kicked out. This individual, because he does not understand. The impact of what this is doing for this particular culture essentially like kicked out opportunity for these individuals who were doing that work right and when we talk about you know that work like a lot of times when we as black creatives or brown creatives are going and putting our work forward and we're doing a real stuff like this to have someone who could sit on a jury and dismiss it because they don't get it hurts us right so it hurts us in a, in a very meaningful way because that prevents us, you're now preventing, that's another systematic way of preventing us from getting jobs, right? And so what you start to see, and I'll be, I'll say it here, and I, I haven't said this publicly, is like, I've been in like five, five juries at some big uh, uh, award shows, some of the largest in the world, recently over the past three months. And I can tell you, it is an actual fact that a lot of these awards are given to friends, you have judges who sit on juries, who know each other. You do this one, I do that one. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. So there's a lot of this passing along stuff. And what I say is it's important that we are actually putting people in that rooms who are representative of like the, like the US, the population, right? Like, so whenever I do any event, whether I speak on a panel or a keynote, whether I'm on jury, jury, 
my ask is a, is a simple one. I, I have a 13% rule. And my rule essentially says, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna partake in this, 13% of the other people involved have to also be black. And if you're having a hard time finding those people, which it should not be, if you are, here's my list of 20 people you can actually reach out to today who will take this opportunity. But when I pass on that opportunity, I actually do it for junior and mid-level folks because other executive leaders like myself don't need more shine. And this is a way we, again, get more people in the room to actually join in these conversations and ensure that they're assessing the work and being able to kind of tap into the, that work and, and give it the proper you know voice it's needed when you're in these rooms. And the other side is just like, you know, these are individuals who need opportunity to shine as well, right? And this helps them to create opportunities. So I tell people all the time, everyone should do that. Not even just people of color, but all people. So it's interesting to me. I mean, I can't imagine, was the, were these, are these people on your, your juries at your level, ECD, CD, CCO level, or are they, or because, you know, I just want to tack this back to the conversation we had earlier. Yep. You've got, you've got a great strategy department that's handing you information. Part of that information is this is our target audience. You know, this is, these are characteristics of our target audience. This is what they care about. You know, this is the human insight. Is that in the, is that in the, is that in the application, is that in the, um, uh, the form that's given to you with the piece of creative? That's a good question. So oftentimes you'll have a case study, which is just a video, right. two, three, four, five minutes long. There, there, uh, let me just go a little further. And then yeah. there's a description. The description will sometimes we get into some of that detail, right? That every award show is different, but for the most part, it's a brief description of what the case study is. And sometimes I'll put in the data and whatnot. Now, the problem is there are a lot of agencies who don't have the time and or money to actually do really incredible case studies. Like at VMLYNR, we have a full department. They apply for awards and they do case studies. Right. That's it, right? Not a lot, like I was at TBWA. We didn't have that over there. So like when we're submitting some awards, like it's like who on the team can edit this video real quick. So all that matters. But to your point, it's like, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not explicitly detailed in some cases, uh, but it's the ones that are able to do that. I think it, it helps them for sure. Right? But your role as a creative is to be able to sit in the shoes of that's, that, that's what we do, right? A hundred percent of the time. And if you can't do that, then you should be separating yourself from the conversation and or that type of position. And that's the, and, and isn't that the role of the creative brief? I mean, it's yeah. almost, I wish they would, instead of doing that case study, it's almost like we wish they would have said, here's the creative brief. <laughs> I'm sure there's yeah. proprietary information, but if I look at that creative brief and then t look at the creative, I should be able to go, ah, yeah. you know, yeah. I got it. I got it. Yeah. That makes sense. I don't want to, the video is just, it's just, you know, window dressing. It's, it's, you know, it's it Christmas yeah. lights on the, on the tr Christmas tree. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But I'll tell you what, that's the stuff that usually wins people over. Right. You know, a lot, a lot of the time, that's what it is. It, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's, that's the case. It's the folks that present that just do like static images or storyboards. Those ones usually don't perform as well. Right. It's so interesting because I, um, Today, I was looking at uh, an incredible video um, uh, to promote background checks on gun uh, for, mm -hmm. for gun. And they had hired a fellow who was senior in the National Rifle Association to come um, to come do a commencement address. And in front of this man doing his commencement address were over 3,000 empty seats empty of chip, the people yeah. that were killed and that would have I graduated in 20. And it was, it was astounding. 
But I watched the video and I thought, well, I had read the article first and the article explained it to me. And I watched the video and I thought, well, if I just watched the video, I'm not sure I would have gotten yeah, all of yeah. that background information. And I think that's really important to judge it yeah. because that puts you in the mindset of the receiver. You know, you talked about persuasion in persuasion. There's always a receiver. And yep. the person who's receiving it, if if that person who's receiving it is not the target, you know, it's it. Yes, it goes. It, it's it's irrelevant to me. Oh yeah, look, that goes back into creative storytelling too. Yeah, right. Like you gotta tell a story, right? Like in every piece of work, you have to tell a story. That should have been weaved into that 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 video that you saw. You know, simple copy, voiceovers. There's very easy ways to do that, but it's right. it's not. It's like again, it's it's not. It's not an easy thing to do in a lot no. of times. No, it's not. And it and it and it it's incumbent on creative talents like you and the people who work for you and your colleagues and your mentors and the and everybody to understand that without that, what you're doing every day is really not that important and not that meaningful. And I think it's important. Oh, yeah. I I think a challenge that we have, I see it in my school, you know, I have fewer and fewer students choosing to study advertising because they say there's a there's a negative connotation with advertising but in fact when you look at a video like the one i just described well advertise let's even let's just call it communication it's communicating an important message in a yeah. very impactful way and that's important yeah. that's hard that's not oh, easy yeah. oh yeah it's true. So. Very true. It's not. I mean, look, we are we are everyone, everything we do, we are all in the, the business of advertising. Right, right. Right. Like this conversations, you go out and you meet someone, you go on a date, like we are in the business of advertising. But right. what closes is the people who are descriptive and the people who can, you know, I always say I go back and this is a slide I use in so many of my my decks. Uh, my Angelo has a quote and it says, People will forget what you've done or said, but they'll never forget the way you made them feel. It is about eliciting an emotion every single time. That's it. Absolutely. I use that. I use that quote all the time, too. I love it. So I love it's, it. It's brilliant. Well, we're coming to the end of our, of our chat, but I do want to ask you, I think it's really important, somebody with your experience, somebody with your ability to run track and do biometrics and yet create something with a patent, <laughs> uh, that you share some advice with our students. What, what is the, with our students, excuse me, our students. Uh, what is the one piece of advice, what's the best piece of advice you can give my students that they should walk away and say, man, that will. Mm. Yeah, uh, the, the, the one thing I could do it on one word, confidence, right? I'll, I'll tell folks all the time that, um, you know, as a, as a creative of color, right, like we have been, a lot of people of color have been brought up and raised in a way that like we have to be polite. We have, if we work hard, people will see, you'll get credit for that. We show up in the room, don't do anything like our parents, like we, show, we, we go out, don't do anything that's going to embarrass me. You better pull up your pants because I don't want people to think this way of you. When a police officer stops you, make sure you talk like this, make sure you raise your foot, make sure your hands are here. So there's this there's this when we get into these spaces a lot of times after high school, college, and then boom, you're in a conference room with a lot of people that don't look like you. There's often this a severe lack of confidence, which in turn creates code switching. And then we start acting and being like the person that's on the other side of the table. And when we code switch, right, instead of spending that energy on the work, you're spending that energy on being somebody you're not. And when you're spending that energy on being someone you're not, you're not able to produce 
the best work because you are not you. So I tell people all the time, like, it is important to show up as you, right? And it took me a, a, it took me a long time in my career to get to that point. Like, I've, I'll never forget, you know, when I worked at JP Morgan, right? So one of my first jobs out of college, I, um, I worked with the, like the one only black executive uh, was like, I'll never forget, I sat in a meeting with him and this guy was like the man. And he was, it just to me, just like, he was very proper in a suit and tie always. And then when he would talk to me, he was like really ghetto, right? And he was really good. And he was like, and then I'll never forget the he came to me and he says, if you don't know how to play this motherfucking game, you're not going to fucking get by. And that made me like, I was like, I was like, it, it confused me, yeah. right? Because he was with me one way and then with these people the other way. And through my career, like through my career, I kind of got to a point where I was like, I don't want to be that guy. Right. Like I need to, I, I, I want to be me. I want to be who I am. And when I started doing that, like I started like the patents and all this stuff, like that was that really literally that's at the time of those patents and biometric lab, like that was when I just started to shine and do some of the best work of my career. But it's also leading with authenticity. You can't be authentic, right. In what you do and the work you produce, if you can't be authentic in who you are. That's brilliant. Thank you so Thank much, you, Walt. Thank you. you Thank you. You're a rock star. Oh, man, look, look, I'm just trying to be like you when I grow up. All <laughs> right. Grow, I haven't grown up yet either. <laughs> <laughs> I got you, <laughs> well, look, Take this care. has been great. I appreciate your time. And I Thank look forward you. to seeing some of your students in person, man. This has been Conversations with the Creators, sponsored by St. John's Graduate Program in Integrated Advertising Communications. Special thanks to all who helped create these podcasts, including Professor Audrey Siegel Mavora, Professor Edrix Fontanilla, Kevin James, and the Advertising Graduate Assistants. Keep on ideating. <laughs>